Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who is back from a couple weeks away from the podcast booth. There's been some other things going on, some holidays in there, and just, um, you know, we're tackling things. We're getting stuff ready for the new year. And so we are back in the saddle. Last week we had our mission pastor, Eric Newberry, join us and talk through some things and from his teaching. And Darren was able to lead us into John chapter 7 as we continue our Believe series. And uh, so he's with us today. Huh. And we're, we're, we're trucking through the book of John. We are making a record-setting snail's pace through John. <laughs> yeah, record-setting in the slowest possible way. Yeah. If, if, if the record is how fast we can go, we're not getting that record. Yeah, but that's not, you know, anybody can do that. Right. Anybody can go fast through the book of John. I bet John didn't go fast through the book of John. He took his time. I think so. And so now we're at the beginning of the year, 2023, and we're in the middle of a, a prayer and fasting period for our church. And some other area churches, actually. We're, we're all kind of seeking the Lord in prayer corporately, um, combining that with the time of fasting. And, you know, we've, we've asked folks to be praying about, you know, how they can do that and what's the best way. And, it, you know, it's as the Lord leads. Yeah. Now, apparently, uh, you made a comment yesterday that this is the time to go to Chick-fil-A in so, Franklin. So I had this observation yesterday. Now, I... I am participating in a fasting, but not regarding lunch or dinner. So I pull into the Chick-fil-A at 1130, which I've learned is at the beginning of peak crazy. Okay. So like if you can get there around 1130, you're good. But anytime before that, um, there's usually nobody there. Anytime after that, it's pandemonium. Okay. Which is still worth it's still worth dealing with pandemonium to get your Jesus chicken. And so, but I got there at 1130 and it was a ghost town. I have never seen this Chick-fil-A empty at 1130. So I had this, it hit me like, of course there's no line. This town, this community, this county is prayer, praying and fasting. And so, of course, the Chick-fil-A would be empty. There's no one here. It made me wonder, like, you know, a year from now when they're looking at books and making projections, they're going to see this giant dip in their numbers. I promise you. And wonder, what in the world was happening? And it must have been the recession. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their January numbers are just tanked because everybody's skipping lunch. They're, they're praying and fasting, which ironically, worked out very well for me in my drive through experience. I got in and out of there faster than ever before. Yeah. And speaking of in and out, geez. Yeah, day three of prayer and fasting, right? And won't he do it? God is just moving in special ways in Praise our county. Praise be. in and out which is a West Coast burger joint, like, like legitimately West Coast, like California, Nevada, Arizona, West Texas is like their most eastern mm -hmm. store, restaurant. They announced this week that our beloved governor has approved <laughs> the, uh, the not the relocation, but a setup of an East Coast headquarters for In-N-Out Burger in Franklin, Tennessee. Bill Lee is Tennessee. <laughs> that was remarkable. So what happened with In and Out was they were they were headed east and they ran into the Whataburger wall. Correct. In which Texas. is Texas. And they yeah. just ran smash up against it. And look, the, you know, this is the place that brought you the Alamo. Yes. You know, so they uh they staged you know the last stand of Whataburger mm -hmm. and unlike uh Daniel or Davy Crockett and Daniel, like they they actually didn't yeah. they survived this yeah. Alamo. 
So they they uh, they hopped over us with it. And now I don't know how they did this because historically the reason In and Out said that they were chained to the West Coast is their commitment to fresh produce year Beef. round, fresh tomatoes, fresh lettuce. So I don't know if they're going to be FedExing lettuce in from <laughs> L.A. or because there there you know times of year where our tomatoes are great, but you know that's that's a specific time, not the whole year. So I don't know how they're doing it, but maybe that's the the miracle of prayer and fasting that we have. Bless God, God has three days in has already moved on our behalf. Now the Texas people, if if anyone from Texas here is listening to this, genuinely and legitimately cannot figure out what the big deal is about what uh, about in and out. They are. Whataburger to the bone. Now, have you had a Whataburger lately? No. I mean, no, it's been a while. Oklahoma, we had them, and I remember driving by them all the time. Kind of like I drive by Hardee's here. I'm like, who actually goes to Hardee's? 100%. Is it the Captain D's of burger places for me? I don't know. (laughs) Like, Whataburger does nothing for me. It's, it is, it is, there's... There are Texas people hitting unsubscribe know, right now, deleting this episode. This is this is part of our podcast, though. Is is that we speak truth? Controversial, yeah. Controversy that we we yeah. stick to uh, integrity as a part of our core commitment. Whataburger is just not up there. It's just not. So, and neither is Hardee's. Like I, I drive by it all the time. Like I would never stop there, but right. I'm stopping at an In and Out. The thing is, it's going to take them four years to put in a, a restaurant because they're building a headquarters. I don't, I don't think people understand like the gravity of this. Um, it's, it's, gonna, it's more than they're just putting in a, a franchise, right? Yeah. This is headquarters, yeah. east, east coast, quote unquote, east of the Mississippi. And anyways, it's an exciting time if you live in Williamson County. Um, that's all I'm saying. We're off to a great start in 23. I mean, by day twenty-one. I mean, what what else could what happen? Could possibly move in here. I mean, Tim Hortons. Maybe we'll get a Canadian <laughs> transfer of the Tim Hortons. We could order double doubles. And uh, I actually, I actually really like Tim Hortons. Uh, yeah. When we were in Canada, and then I found out that Wendy's bought them. That's true. Wendy's does own. Yeah. Which is sort Timothy. of underwhelming. I feel like that was our revenge for when Canada burned down our White House, like in the 1800s. Like, this is us going, hey. You got them back. We just bought your national treasure. of uh, So take that, Trudeau. <laughs> well, Sunday, John chapter 7, and specifically dove into kind of a word study um, of the word secular. How do you think a word study goes on a Sunday morning? I think it goes good. Like a real I mean, answer to that. No, I think it goes good. I think it's... It's one of those things that kind of, uh, you know, it's, it feels like you're in class, right? It's like you're in you're in either a Bible class or a, a history class, and you're learning something. But so, kid, you you I might have just answered my question, as you feel like you're in a class. I enjoy classes. Um, do you do? <laughs> yeah, I like to learn things, and I felt like we all really learned something important on oh. Sunday, and you you taught it very well. well thank you. That's actually. Very- I wasn't even fishing. I just was genuinely thinking, I'm actually boring myself right now. <laughs> and if that's not a good sign, but... No, but it's good time, insight. Good insight. Well, th- there's certain things, and, and maybe that's the uh, part of the, the... Look, maybe this is the strategy of TikTok, right? Is to shorten our attention span so much right. that by the time they invade... You know, we're all going to be using like one word sentences like Kevin Malone on The Office. You know, like, right. Because we just can't think in, in more than three seconds in front of our heads. But but the thing that is, for me, I guess is important is it's easy to ask a bunch of questions. It's just, that's not courageous. But what's the answer? And taking enough time, I remember I had a conversation a very, very long time ago. It was uh, you know what? I, I'll just say it because he, I, I assure you, uh, he will never listen to this podcast ever. In fact, the last time he called me, he said, hey, man, uh, it's Jeremy. Uh, do you still make uh, sh- uh, cabinets? I'm like, sorry, this is Darren Tyler. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, guitar I cabs? Some, I need to, no, no, like cabinets for his kitchen. Oh. <laughs> okay, this was the bass player for Paramore. I've known him since he was like 14. Oh, Jeremy, amazing. Jeremy Davis. I'm like, bro. I've never made 
cabinets ever in my life. You've opened them. I have opened plenty of them. And my wife wishes I would close more of them. But, yeah, I'm like, okay, bro, that's not. Uh. But I remember in high school when I was doing the youth ministry thing uh, on the, my little side hustle that didn't make any money. It was just a, I guess it was just a side thing. But he would come in with his BMX bike and his, you know, all the little rock and roll kids from, you know, Franklin. And, and he had all these questions, but he would literally just machine gun. I'm like, bro, at some point you ha- are you going to have to sit back and listen for an answer or search an answer? Search because anybody can ask questions, but don't ship back your faith on questions. Figure out what the answer is. And then, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And the good thing about Jesus is he stands the, all that scrutiny. But it, I, I believe that one of the challenges of our current, not, not even generation, our nation is that, that our attention span is so slow that the, or so, so short that, you know, a legitimate question that needs a nuanced answer it's just 162 characters is not enough. And we, that was Twitter. We thought that was awesome. You got 100. We thought that was too short. I'm sorry. But now that's, that's actually awesome because you can do a thread. But, you know, now it comes down to can you catch them in the first three seconds on a TikTok algorithm? Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's like three to four seconds to catch them. And then anything under a minute is what's most watched. And then on Twitter, obviously, you have a, a, a minimum amount of characters, which they are getting ready to expand. Hmm. Um, and then, like, for a TED Talks, um, the new number for a TED Talk is 17 minutes is, like, peak number for engagement and yeah. listening. And which, you know, calls into question, like, okay, how do we, how do we go about a Sunday teaching, right, when we're, when we're planning for 30 to 40 minutes? You know, after that 17 to 20 minute mark, like how many people have checked out, mm-hmm. um, which is incumbent upon us to to be engaging and and bring um, bring the truth, bring information that um, not only informs, but transforms, which I feel like you did on Sunday. It's it's this you pulled out a, a specific word um, that's in in John seven, three through five, when it talks about the world Um the world can be used in a couple different ways, right? Obviously, the the actual universal word, like material universe, the actual physical world that we we live in. Yeah. And then then there's this idea of the spirit of the world, um, the system of thinking in which the material world and human world are an end to itself. So it's like it speaks of kind of time, and speaks of um, the mindset. Yeah, it's actually a so Jesus uses the phrase a lot. The Bible uses the phrase a lot. In fact, in John, the further we get into it, Jesus is going to use that phrase more and more. And so he uses it. Um, he doesn't use it univocally. He uses it equivocally, meaning that it's the same word. It just has two different meanings. And where we, I think why I, why I know why I felt like it was important is that if we conflate those two together, um, well, on the one hand, you've got fundamentalism, which is the world of, you know, uh, anything ever from the, it's all going to burn. So any attachment at all to the world, um, whether it's your home or, uh, your car or whatever that, you know, it, it, it's all materialism as opposed to, so if you can in other words, don't enjoy any of it. And so you end up with, you know, sexless marriages, um, the uh, the prudish world ways that we because it all was the world. Uh, on the other hand, you get um, a, a form of liberalism from it uh, because uh, the, the world. If you read it, where he talks about you know God so loved the world, uh, he, uh, every day after creation it is good. The, the, you know, so if you go just that direction, then it's all just the world, and so everything here is is good, and you're made of stardust and. You know, and Jesus, there's two different meanings of it. And so when you understand which one he's talking about, it's how he can say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And uh, I'm not of this world. Neither are they. This world hates me um, because of that. So there, it's the same word, just two different meanings. And it's oftentimes in, in the Bible, it's, the, uh, it's, a, it's an English word that there's two different Greek words. This is the same Greek word. It's just he's using it two different ways. And so to tie in the world, that secular 
world is kind of is, is that synonymous in our modern context it is synonymous it's not a word that's used in the, the to, well, I don't think it's used in the Bible we've used the word secular um, in a modern it's actually started early churchish like a Latin Vulgate kind of you know because it's a, a Latin word um, that means uh, like an age, like a, a period of time. And so the, uh, what's wild is that they use that word when they refer to the world. And it, it's actually a brilliant way to do it because the idea of this world is that it's, which is why I say the world is just a way of thinking, is that this, if this world is all there is, that's all there is, then this current moment is all that matters You'll step on someone to get something, you know, it's where YOLO comes from, you know, I mean, I know that's old now, but, you know, the idea that you only live once, so get all you can out of this, that's secular, and it basically is, uh, it's a, a religious, a religion of now, like of nowism. It's why politicians can't see past the next election cycle, because it's now, like, we, we literally live, uh, and this is not just... America, this is history, where anytime where there's a politician who's trying to earn, you know, the votes or whatever they are, they are trying to get the people that they want happy right now it has nothing to do with the big picture or the long term. It's about now. And so you end up with, you know, bloated budgets like California, bloated budgets like our federal government, because it's, you know, every congressman comes in there wanting their thing and they got to come back and say they brought home the bacon. And we can't look and, and and here's the thing the re, we can blame the politicians all day long but we vote that way as well like people vote that way for their own so you end up voting to your own it's why cities like San Bernardino are so bogged down in debt because you know a police officer who should be rewarded and should be blessed a police officer in San Bernardino this is from Michael Lewis's book uh, Boomerang a police officer in San Bernardino retires with like a half a million dollar check. They get a $300,000 a year salary for the rest of their lives. Like unsustainable, unsustainable. So, the, you know, but that's the nowism of it. And, and again, that's politicians, but that's what, when Jesus says this world, everything from whether it, when you go back to the debauchery, cause I don't know, like, were they still burning records when you were a kid, man, I was going to say the word secular in my upbringing um, was was front and center. Like everything we did was couched in whether or not it was secular or not. So all forms of entertainment, right? So movies, music, going out. Cards were secular then, right? Yeah. Not just poker, but like Skipbo or Uno. Just or- just cards, man. That's you know, that's worldly. Worldly, right? Like right. that was the phrase, like secular or worldly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, yeah, man. So like music for sure in my, in my world <laughs> was, was can't listen to secular music, which was confusing because <laughs> I mean, I remember, I do remember growing up and, you know, mom cranking the Michael Bolton, but you know, like I couldn't listen to, uh, your mom cranking Michael. <laughs> I couldn't listen to like, um, you know, ACDC or anything right. like that. Yeah the 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 idea, which is there, so there's some. So it was like there's some truth in the idea that there are some things that we you know whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever yeah. things are true, whatever good report. You know, the, uh, there's a lot of truth in if you're putting a bunch of garbage in your mind. And then yeah. you're like, man, I'm really struggling with anxiety or I'm really depressed. And like, what have you been doing? Well, I've been <laughs> binging straighter, Stranger Things for like 12 hours. Right. So, well, maybe, you know, there might be something, you know, hundred percent to that. But that's not a Christian versus secular thing. That's just a, a wise versus fool mm-hmm. thing. And but yeah, it's it's like it's certainly it's simplified it to the point where, you know, God's good creation um we ought to take care of it, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you believe climate change is caused by humans, which, you know, if you do, there's, you just have a lot of explaining to do, you know, the ice age of, uh, the seventies for instance, like, I, anyway, po- point being, there was, there was the, the climate has changed throughout history. So whether or not you believe that on the other hand, we, this is God's good earth here. And so you get to a place like Haiti and you're like, you know what? It's an act of worship just to pick up your trash. It's an act right. of worship to not, just throw your stuff wherever you want, you know. 
there, there's an idea of God's good creation that gets lost if, uh, if, if we think of it in that way. Um, and on the other hand, there's this, you know, Jesus, uh, he, he uh, I think it's John, I don't remember the chapter. He, or no, it's Luke. He often retired to the lonely places to pray. And by lonely places, it just means he's went out by himself. He went out in the woods. You know, uh, my wife and I were talking about uh, the fasting thing. And, you know, we Americans are used to eating three meals a day plus snacks and beverages. So physiologically, our bodies are, we feel that if we miss a meal, immediately start feeling it because the physiology, the vast majority of the world in the developing nations, which would have been way more similar to what Jesus was a part of, I mean, they didn't wake up and have uh, bacon eggs and or cereal or a protein shake. They would eat, in fact, in Haiti right now, if you're eating one meal a day, that sounds horrible, but it's actually really common. Like we call it intermittent fasting in uh, you know the United States, and you know people start entire Instagram profiles based on it. <laughs> in Haiti, it's called Tuesday, All right? Um, and so when we when we do a meal at, at a school like we do, uh, it is the only meal they're going to get that day for the most part for most of them. But that's it. So, but um, Jesus would eat like one meal a day. So when he went into the wilderness to fast. Two things. One, he was only eating probably one meal a day anyway. And then secondly, he wasn't working the whole time. He was in the wilderness resting. And, you know, and when you go into the Judean wilderness, it's beautiful. The views, the scene. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Uh, the, the, the mountains, the hills around the Galilee are just beautiful. Point being that he would go there to pray. And when's the last time we have done that? You know, and the answer is uh, for me yesterday, because I'm okay. That's part of what I want to do is to be focused on that and um, withdrawing to the quote-unquote lonely places to pray. Um, but I don't remember why we went down that road, to be honest with you now. Well, well, where was I going with that? No, we would just be good stewards of what we have. Oh, yeah, the world, right? The, the world is a good place to be to be praying. So it's, you know, it's almost like if we don't think of it in, in the beauty of it, at least for me, then I'm not, I'm not drawn into it. Um, but the world is... Understanding that the cosmos means terra firma, it means the world and the, that this is good, the creation is good, and it means the systematic thinking of the world is an important distinction. And when Jesus talks about the world, that's what he means is the systematic thinking, way of thinking that now is all that matters. And so it's not the drug, sex, and rock and roll. Those are results of a system of thinking. One of my first jobs, I've shared this before, but I worked at Family Christian Bookstore was there a uniform? You had to have a name tag, right? Uniform, name tag. Was it like burgundy? Were they, did they have like burgundy shirts? Burgundy and navy blue. How do options. I remember that? I don't know, dude. This was, I mean. I never, to be clear, I've never worked at a family. But I remember burgundy shirts and name tags from Lifeway. Yeah. and Forgot the, to take the trash out this morning. <laughs> Swear 100%, but I remembered burgundy. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, my first gig was I was head of the music department. I was like 18. And I loved it because I had access to all the music, right? All the CDs and all the tapes that still existed. It was like during the, during the season when they were fading, uh, phasing out cassettes and moving to strictly CDs. And but anyways, I remember when the whoever it was would have sent these these massive posters that would say, "If you like this band, then you'll love this band. If you like this secular artist, then you'll love this Christian artist." You remember those? <laughs> so it's like, if you love Nirvana, then you'll love Skillet. If you love Pearl Jam, then you'll love Third Day. Like. I, it was just, <laughs> and, and, and when you think about it, like none of them were right. If you love ACDC, you'll love Petra. No, I really don't. Like, like I, I really loved ACDC. You know, no, they were naughty, and you know there was there was not lovely and pure things in there. But it didn't mean that Petra. I mean, God, you know, God bless John Schlitt and John Lauer. They're they're amazing humans. But if you love Backstreet Boys, you'll love Jump Five. It was just like, like what? Now look, and when you finally met Alan Weed, the guy that created those ideas, yeah, I'm like, that's right. Oh, no wonder, he's like a you know Dockers wearing plaid shirt, uh, Leapers fork, really really wonderful, lovely guy, and not exactly who I'm looking for for music. You know what I mean for music <laughs> but, selection. But. but those things went into every bookstore in America, 
And I remember like having people walk in and be like, yeah, like my, my teenage son, you know, really needs to be listening to something else. Like, what would you recommend? And, you know, walking them over to this chart to say, well, what's he listening to now? Well, maybe we could recommend this. <laughs> so, so here's why that's really funny to me, because the Cutlass, the very first Cutlass record, we had a $30,000 marketing budget all in for everything, which for tooth and nail, Brandon Ebel felt like he had just given us half the kingdom. And in those days, I mean, that was basically a burp for a marketing budget. Yeah, that's nothing. So we went all in on retail positioning mm -hmm. in bookstores. Mm -hmm. And it was, I swear I'm not making this up, the, I, the idea that I had on the whiteboard is it is kid-tested, mother-approved, <laughs> which was the trick cereal. Right. Right. And the idea was, because back in those days, all those bands like uh, Red, actually Red wasn't even around yet, Pillar, yeah, they all had this real, real itch for the general market. So they were taking a lot of other lyrical content and, you know, making it a little more obtuse so that it wasn't... Repurposing it. Yeah. And I, and all I saw was, man, the end zone is wide open and ain't nobody guarding it. So we just ran the ball straight down the middle because the Colors Boys record, we didn't make the record because of that, or they didn't make the record. But they made a record that was like, all we do, boys, just run the ball. because. So the ball was listening stations in bookstores because uh, and the first three songs on the record were, you know, kid, you know the kids loved it because it was basically a creed. You know, if you love creed, you'll love creedless. Exactly. Um, but by the third song, you know, it was like a run that, you know, yeah. kind of a ballad song. So yeah. mom would be like, yeah, I'll buy this for my kids. And youth pastors were just tripping over themselves for it. We spent every dime of it on that. If you love Creed, you'll love Cutlass, and uh, and it worked. <laughs> it like we we were selling eighteen hundred records a week for like four years. I mean, yeah. it just was like an evergreen record that went out. But I remember that. So the world, and that's honestly the struggle now. If you're in the Christian music world, is we made uh, we sold a lot of records on uh, really bad theology, not the theology mm -hmm. of the music, but the theology of uh, you should never listen to secular music ever. So you right. Um, so you, you have to buy this. Your mom will make you buy it because that's what the pastors were preaching for them. So. You know, now you just have to make a really great music because uh, there's no Christian bookstore. My, Correct. My son does not have an, any idea that this is where you get Christian music and the rest of it's over here. It's all intertwined, and so it all has to be. It's a little bit to be careful what you wish for. Now we've got to compete. You had three main points, the works of the world, hatred of the world, and hope of the world. And hatred of the world was interesting because you, you, you brought out some stats in regards to... Um, how Americans are more nervous about what they say in public. Mm -hmm. It was a report put out by The Economist. I'm not sure how long ago that was put out. Yeah, so it's actually The Economist piece was from probably 2018. Recent. But, but the Cato Institute that it's based on, they do this every year, and that number, the Cato uh, number, came out in 2020, 2021. The premise was that uh, the political climate prevents people from expressing their true beliefs. They kind of hide behind. They're afraid to say what they believe because of the what, what, what will happen to them. How they'll be perceived in the world. Yeah, and which is, it, it says in John that the people, they had, they had lots of questions about Jesus in John 7 here, but they didn't say anything because they were afraid of their leaders. So they had lots of thoughts about who Jesus is. But they were afraid to say it. And so that that economist report, which the, the New York Times just did a story in December, I think. Last month. Last month. Um, that America has a free speech problem because people are afraid to say what they believe. But when you dive into it, why really what jumped out at me was the economist doesn't actually dig into this like uh, – because it says 62% of people are afraid or something like that to say it. But when you divide between a strong conservative and a strong liberal, it's 77% of strong conservatives are afraid to say something. And 33% of strong liberals are afraid to say something. Like the rest, like, so in other words, 77%, it's almost completely backwards. 77% of progressive secular humanists are unafraid to say what they think. And they're unafraid to say because the cultural zeitgeist right now. It lines up. It lines up with it. So they're quote-unquote leaders. You know, they, 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 I don't remember who said it, but you can tell a lot about a country or a nation based upon its blasphemy laws. Mm. What are you allowed to say? So in Iran, the blasphemy laws are you can't, you know, you can't even, you can't draw a picture of, uh, Mo of uh, Allah or Muhammad or you can't uh, say that, you cannot disparage 
uh, the Quran. Like those, that's their blasphemy laws. Our blasphemy laws are that I can't say that that guy, the health secretary for Pennsylvania that is dressed like a woman, I can't say that that's a he because that's uh, quote unquote misgendering him. But that's a blasphemy law. Like literally saying that, um, it, 20 years ago on Friends, you know, nobody was thinking about any of this stuff. You know, and, and now they're all doing their mea culpas. Oh, I'm so I'm so embarrassed. I, I was reading a piece this week, and people I can't even believe I just said I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> it's the first time I think I've ever heard you say that. I'm so embarrassed. It was a Twitter. Well, I don't have I do not have a subscription to people. I, I swear, my wife can confirm this. Um, but this interview with uh, the lady that played Chandler Bing's father or mother, I can't remember. But it was a so it was was the actress was a woman, but she was playing a transgender woman and so back then they called him a drag queen that you know was gay like so and they thought they were being so progressive and you know and I, I wasn't a friends guy I was busy laughing at Seinfeld but but the point being that now these guys are all like embarrassed like Martha Kaufman the creator of friends because her blasphemy law now is that she she didn't know back then about pronouns nobody knew about pronouns back then she was doing 100% what the cultural zeitgeist was yeah. but now the cultural zeitgeist says that she uh, they mis quote unquote misgendered him. So point is that's a blasphemy law now. So she's having to do her scarlet letter lap, um, and they didn't cast a actual trans actor, so that role could have been by somebody else. So now the actress is you know uh, being called into account of why she you know took the role when it took away from someone else. That's the blasphemy laws of of the world. So if you're afraid to speak up in it. Um, for, you know, which the thing is, the New York Times says that's a free speech problem. I would say that's just a courage problem. Like, whether or not the cultural zeitgeist is on your side, whether or not the leaders are on your side, the truth is still the truth. Uh, the, I've got so many friends in countries like, uh, well, I can't say the names of the countries, but I've got friends in countries that are like, they are completely confused at how our, um, how we can be quiet about the gospel quiet about Christianity um, because in their mind, our blasphemy laws is you're just, they're going to say mean things about you on Twitter. Their blasphemy laws are, they could get hung from a crane yeah. in the town square. So they're, you know, and they still speak. Now they do it wisely. They're doing underground, but point is they're still speaking. So it's not a, uh, it is a free speech issue in our country, 100%. But even with that, it's a, it's a faith issue and it's a courage issue for us as believers. And we had the opportunity over the past few years to uh, to lead the charge, right? Um, to speak up and to say some things over the past eighteen to twenty four months, um, when our our faith and in these cultural moments um, allowed us to either speak up or just remain silent. And that was one of the reasons this podcast was kind of birthed a little bit um, to give us an outlet to say some things and to encourage. Into into um, hopefully inspire some folks to to stand up for what they what they believe as well. Yeah, because if if you're being if you're not saying what's true because you're afraid of the consequences, the consequences of not saying what's true are far. I'm far more afraid of that of lies of living by lies. That I'm far more afraid of those consequences because a living by a lie is exactly what's happening right now. I mean it's. A silly example of you know a Friends episode from twenty years ago, but it's literally major media publications are talking about that like it's a fact. I'm far more afraid of that consequence, and so speaking what's true. Um, I heard someone saying this yesterday, and I would give them credit if I could remember who it was. And he was saying um, they were talking about the this we have to. He was talking about Prince Harry. I, I, is he still a prince? Not sure. Did he abdicate the prince I don't know. throne or something? Um, but he was talking about that we have to, Harry was saying we have to remove the stigma around mental health. And this guy was like, and I don't even know what he's talking about. Howard Stern can talk for three hours about his therapist. Like people are talking about Xanax o'clock. Like, the, the, you know, the stigma about mental health, there's still a lot of work to do around it. But the stigma has gone. You can talk about yeah. your therapist, your counselor. And he said that the stigma right now in our country is not about mental health. It's about faith. If I say I'm a Christian, that's where there's stigma yeah. attached to it. And so do you want, you know, if I, you know, we talk about if I'm a Muslim, it's it's celebrated in Hollywood. It's it's uh, completely like there's no media articles talking about the, you know, the Palestinian Authority throwing 
homosexuals off of roofs in Gaza, which is what they have done multiple times. Um, none of that's being brought up. But the point is there's a stigma around being a Christian. And Jesus experienced it in what, what I was, uh, what I really believe for all of us, what we had to do these last few years, we're going to have to do in the years to come, is Jesus actually said that this world hated me. He said to these guys, now at this point in John 7, they don't hate you yet. They don't hate you right now. No, they're going to, right? He actually, by the time he gets to John 15, 16, 17, they hated me. Now they're going to hate you. He doesn't say blessed are you uh, because and when men persecute you because uh, of your, he says because of righteousness is what he said. This is Matthew 5. Blessed are you if you're persecuted because of righteousness. And righteousness meaning God's definition for for life, his design. They're going to persecute you for that. And Jesus is saying here, they hated me. They hate me because I testify, me being here is testimony that their works are evil. Just him being here in general, him being crucified, buried, resurrected, is a testimony that God is true, that God is real, and that the works of the world are not. And they're going to they're gonna hate you for that. So there's a point where if you... If you're being quiet because you don't want to be quote unquote divisive, which I've heard from many people, I, I just don't want to be divisive. I want to be I, me too, right? I don't want to be divisive, but what I want to be is true. And I don't get to decide the response to truth. So the, the divisiveness is not up to me. The tone, yeah, that's up to me. Um, the, the way that it's communicated, that is up to me. But the truth is still the truth. Jesus. He wasn't going to go to the festival yet because the people were already set to kill him. And we're going to, I mean, spoiler alert, he sneaks up to Jerusalem and then speaks in the middle of the very crowd that wanted to, he said, there are people here that are, they want to kill me. And, but there was something burning in him so deep that he was willing to stand up in front of all of those people and still say the truth, knowing that it was eventually going to lead to him being killed. Yeah. And here in America, I think, um, well, not just here in America, but in some of our neighboring countries as well. I mean, we've got some Canadians as well that oh, listen. Buddy, that yeah. Just them speaking any level of logic or truth about a topic um, that goes against government orders or government mindset or the the the, the, the secular narrative yeah. um, puts them in, in danger of losing their job. Um, even being called into uh, get, getting a citation, getting called into court to defend. Um, we heard a story about that this past week. I mean, <laughs> the, the screws are tightening on this. And we, we saw this kind of play out, and it is playing out through, you know, the Twitter files that are being released. You know, Twitter, it's an app, right? But it has a massive impact on the cultural narrative of the world. The amount of information in the speed in which it can get out um, is is one of the most powerful um, technological tools for mm. news that exists. And so what we've seen even take place over the past few weeks as they uh, have dove into the rules, the algorithms of what can or cannot be spoken of or talked about or tweeted about, there's some incredible things coming to light that show some very targeted censorship and propaganda uh, being released out of Twitter from heads of state. Yes. And the thing that makes Twitter so potentially um, more influential, not even potentially more, the average, because I've had this conversation with a couple of my friends that maybe lean a little more towards liberal, and they're like, man, Twitter's not the real world. Totally agree. Right. But voices that influence the real world are influenced by Twitter. Mm -hmm. So every journalist, news media, in a disproportionately large number, the blue checks are influencing each other, and then they are now influencing the world. So when they were afraid of, hey, you know, this statement about vaccine um, immunity, which is one of the tweets that was censored, and mm -hmm. you know that uh, the actual natural immunity is is better than vaccine immunity. You know the, the you know this Scott Gottlieb is that how you say his name? Yeah, Gottlieb. 
um, on the board of Pfizer, you know, making $365,000 a year as a government official now uh, is telling them to, yeah, this, this, you know, this is a dangerous tweet because of what it could mean. It's not that the, the, um, the masses were reading these tweets. It was the danger that journalists might buy into it and write stories about it because the influence of it. And then Christian voices. I, I have four friends that are on social platforms that lean very conservative and very Christian in their worldview who have all picked up thousands and combined would be tens if not hundreds of thousands of followers in just the last three months uh, since the shadow banning stuff has been lifted. Like it, it was happening 100%. Yeah. They were literally shutting down voices. And so, which honestly brings a question that those who were courageous enough to speak, their voices were actually being silenced, mm-hmm. which then makes more of us, uh, more people afraid to speak because nobody's really saying anything. When they are, they're just being silenced within. So I'm afraid to speak up. Um, I mean, I think half of my job for the last two years, half of our job was to say some things that were true. And we, you know, it was our job just to, you know, to take the bullets, to take the, the heat. But there were people who were like, man, thank someone saying what I was thinking. When you think about it, when you hear somebody, you read somebody that, oh, yeah, I'm not crazy. That, that I'm reading here. That's actually true. That's half of our job right now is to be able to say something that, you know, and the good news is, is the bar for courage is so low. Like, right. like I don't have to be that courageous to, you know to say some of the things we're saying now. We've been saying them for 13 years. It's not like we've changed. I had a lady stop me after church on Sunday and ask for some some prayer and some encouragement. She's a, um, she's a science teacher at a local Christian school. At a Christian school. And yep. they are about to go through um, just talking about, teaching about climate change. And the school actually uses... Um, a, a secular book, um, but there's there, so they're presenting the the, the worldview, but also presenting the Christian worldview, and she's pretty bold in her faith and was just asking you know like prayers for some temperance and you know to to be able to present it in a way that was um, you know that was fair right that was in the correct tone and uh, in a way that fostered conversation and discussion and, and didn't get um, didn't get feisty in the classroom. And it was just interesting that that you know that this was that would even be that it would even be a, a topic or a subject that would require um, discernment yeah. in that way. Something really as kind of as simple as 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 climate change, which has its own definitions and meanings depending on who you ask. But it was just it was interesting that that was front front of mind because of what we talked about on Sunday and what you shared on Sunday the hatred of the world she she was already trying to bolster herself and her faith to head into the classroom um, kind of the front lines of mm-hmm. of thinking. Well, what's coming in in some places already is there. Honestly, it's something that you know when we had Rod Dreher a few months back. You know the question is you know there there will likely be some jobs in our country that are just unavailable to us as Christians because of our conscience. So a teacher in a public school has a teenage boy that decides from the pressure or whatever that he's now a girl. The teacher required to call them by the preferred pronoun you know, is a violation of a conscience. That's, you know, it's what Jordan Peterson's famous stand in Canada started with in Toronto. Because that's not, that's compelled speech. That's not free speech. And as a Christian teacher, you know, at some point, a Christian who's a teacher is going to have to make a decision based on their conscience. Now, many of those teachers are, you know, they're uh, getting around it by just not using pronouns at all. But that's a really sad way to live. But the the cost is becoming greater. And in some ways, I, I hesitate to say this because I'm surely someone will think, oh, he's, you know, we, we, this happens online. You don't get persecuted. Nobody's being hung or beaten or, you know, so there's this like idea that just because we are not at the present time being arrested or physically assaulted, that it's not persecution. It's a, you know, like there's a, that's all persecution. Everything else is just, you know, whining. But that is a persecution to have your ideas and your um, your your speech compelled, your ideas uh, softened and and silenced. Um, and in, in the world of Christianity, I think the sooner we can 
disabuse ourselves of the notion that if if someone's mad at me that I've done something wrong, the better and the happier we're going to be. The better our children will be, the better, you know, because, you know, we, we've got a, a four-year-old kid who's been living with us, our, our nephew, uh, my brother-in-law's moved to town. He's staying with us for a few weeks. And, you know, just listening to him talk about boys and girls, like it's not, this is not like something that his father has indoctrinated him with. And, you know, and he's actually watching a lot of uh, media that is like, uh, you know, like Dora the Explorer kind of stuff. Sure. So he's even being exposed to some of this stuff, not by our choice. Um, you know, Sean has done a great job of parenting him. Uh, but here's the point. With all that flying in his face, he still knows that that's a girl because she doesn't have a, you know, a stem on the apple. Like, it's not like a, this is some big brand new, you know, thing that we've discovered. <laughs> um, but but it, here we are in a world where that's, you know, your ideas are being forced to be uh, to be silenced. And the sooner we could disabuse it, like being able to let, you know, Grayson know, you know, yeah, that's a boy. You're a boy. That's a girl. That's not a, that's a freedom for him. That's a gift we can give him. So the, the cost of, of not saying something is way greater than the cost of, of, of speaking up. Um, and I, you know, look, I'm 51, so that I, it's entirely possible that, you know, if someone's younger, listen to this, where you, you're just the grumpy old man. And I don't know, maybe. I think it's more that I've been around long enough to know what it used to feel like to be able to be free. And I don't want to, I don't want to lose that for my kids or my grandkids someday. Your final point in this teaching was talking about the hope of the world, um, which is what we point to, right? The hope of the world is Jesus, that we have, we have freedom in him from, from this fallen, corrupt world brought in by Genesis three and how sin entered into the world. And so through John, he's telling the story of where he's heading towards, which, as we know, is the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And obviously, that is what we that is that is the premise in which we exist and live for today, like the hope of Christ, that we have hope eternal, that we that we have forgiveness and salvation, and we've been rescued. We talked a little bit about that last week in our podcast, the the rescue. Um the hope of the world, which should lead us and guide us in ways to, one, share the hope of the world and uh, live in a way that is hopeful. And it's really quite literal. Like his ideas, his the way he designed the world so he knows who we are. And so when we say he's the hope of the world, it's not just an ethereal bromide for a bumper sticker. It's true because every form of worldly thinking is just another version of saved by works. When he says at this point, the world hates me, uh, he does expand that definition later as far as who it all means. But right now it's just the religious people from Jerusalem. They're the world. And the world in that context is just simply you are saved by works here are the 613 laws that you have to, you know, it's like that Stanford list of, of words you're not allowed to say, which was right. like a hundred words long, which they eventually uh, have redacted. And now they're, they're giving it more thought or something. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just took it down, but, but they, they didn't say they were wrong. Like, Oh, we need to, we, we clearly, you know, this goal of inclusivity, we, we didn't communicate it right. But, but they just, it's literally like a pharisaical list of like 600 things. If you say this, you can't say that you can't say you're an American, can't use the word brave. Um, you can't use uh, the, the phrase beat a dead horse because it celebrates violence of animals. But point is, there's this whole list of things, and I don't know what they are. So if I stumble into them and I'm offending people, then I've violated the laws and the blasphemy laws. It's That's just a secular religion version of saved by works. And Jesus came to say that none of those will ever work, whether it's the Islamic one, the Buddhist one, the Jewish one, or the Stanford one. It just doesn't work because you can't do it. You can't. The list will always grow. Your ability to fulfill the list will never grow. It only decreases, not increases. And so when he says in John 6, hey, you know, the work of God is to believe on the one who sent him. 
and let that be, that will absolutely transform behavior. But if it's a behavior modification world, um, and, and we think of saved, it's probably, it is important to say it this way. It is about eternity, 100%. It's not just a, uh, this side of heaven. On the other hand, it is this side of heaven. When he says saved, he uses the word Zoe. And it just means that fulfilled, content, I don't want to say happy, but like it's you are sleeping pretty good because you are in a place where in this with the hope of the world is Jesus, because I've let go of all of those things that I'm trying to get the Zoe life from and believing on him who sent me the one who, you know, busted through the time space continuum. God became man because he loved me so much, you know, that literally when you even talk about justification, does it mean just as if I'd never sinned? Sure. Yes. And it's like, and he is justifying your existence. Like, this is why you're even here. Every life matters. How do we know that? Because God so loved the world that he sent his only son for you because your life matters that much. There is nothing in the world that can give you that kind of a self uh, courage, self image. Nothing from the world can give you that kind of a, a durable self image. He is the hope of the world. Hallelujah. That gives you the, hopefully the strength to to get through your day and through your week. And man, this is what I love about sermon series, right? When we when we break down verses at a time, chapter at a time to a verse at a time, and sometimes just dwell on a word. Um, it just it sheds light on the entire context of what's being taught here and where Jesus was going with this. Um, man, I just feel like we just uncover this layer and layer, it's like peeling back an onion, right? There's just so much more in there. Where, where are you headed next with, with uh, this next section of chapter seven for this week? Uh, man, it, it's so, it's like we're, we're headed into the Ruth's Chris ribeye <laughs> of, of John. He heads to the festival, the festival of tents. And he says that I'm, the living water. Like I'm, he's already talked about living water, but he said, if you're thirsty and he doesn't say if you're thirsty for God, he says, if you're thirsty, come on, I'm the, I'm the guy, come unto me. If you're thirsty, which he's really driving the truth, which is whatever thirst you're feeling of loneliness, of sadness, whatever you're thirsting for, what your real thirst is, is, is for God. And as always with Jesus, that's a, not only, spiritual, ethereal thing. It's a real, really practical thing. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Well, we pray that this encourages you today. And um, we are continuing to join with you if you are on the journey for prayer and fasting for these next few weeks. And uh, we look forward to hopefully being with you again next week.